Hey guys, it's Neil Amani. You're listening to Tremors from the Heart, the podcast about the philosophy and practices of the mystics of India. Today, I am. I want to talk about bhakti yoga. Bhakti Yoga is becoming increasingly popular, but oftentimes it is misrepresented in the yoga world. And I'd like to talk about it in reference to the most authoritative text on Bhakti Yoga by Rupa Goswami called Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. And the, the easiest way to learn about the most basic understanding of Bhakti Yoga is to read the first wave. The first wave of the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu means the ocean of the nectar of devotion. <clears throat> he starts with the mantra Sri Radha Govinda Devo Vijayate, which means victory to the supreme, known as Radha Govinda. Radha and Krishna combined, Radha and Krishna together. So the first chapter is actually very brief. It's only it's only 46 verses. So I'm going to read through this and then if anything stands out to me I might talk about that a little bit. In the background here, we have a very nice bhajan by Pandit Jasraj. Om Namo Bhagavati Vasudevaya. So text one. Glory be to the moon, whose form is the essence of all rasas, who has surpassed the string of stars with its brilliance, enhanced the charm of the night, and is the companion of the constellation Radha. This can also be translated as Glory be to Krishna, whose form is the essence of all rasas, who has captivated Taraka and Pali with his radiant beauty, excited Shama and Lalita, and is the beloved of Radha. 
Even though I am unworthy, I praise the lotus feet of Hari, the Lord of Consciousness, compelled in my heart by the inspiration of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. May this ocean of the essence of devotional rasas always delight my eternal Lord of delight and be a worthy abode for his rest. May it also satisfy my spiritual masters, Sri Chaitanya and Sanatana. I pay homage to the per um, the dolphin-like devotees swimming in the ocean of the essence of devotional rasa who have overcome fear of the fishnets of time and have left behind the rivers of moksha. So this verse is really nice because what what it's saying here is that the the devotees who have attained uh, rasa, they have overcome the fear of time and death and also have left behind the pursuit for purification or moksha. They're no longer interested in those pursuits because having attained them, illusion is dispelled and they no longer serve any purpose. This, once a person has attained liberation, there's no more purpose to pursuing liberation at all. And because and so therefore they leave them behind. They just discard them and now they're now they're involved in their own um, in the play of their own self with the Supreme Self. And that exchange between the self and the Supreme Self that creates this the uh, aesthetic rapture called Rasa. And we're gonna read more about that. O Sanatana. May your ocean of the essence of devotional rasa outshine even the mimamsaka fire, dulling its cruel tongue for all time. Sanatana is the elder brother of Rupa Goswami, and he considers him his guru. Um, they studied together and wrote and practiced much of their sadhanas in Vrindavan together. They also met Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, um, together and the Mimamsakas are basically Mimamsakas are materialists basically though ignorant for the delight of, of sensitive people I undertake this praise of Bhakti Rasa the aesthetics of devotion which makes all worlds joyful four divisions of the ocean of the essence of devotional Rasa to the Lord will now be described in order beginning with the eastern quadrant Four respective waves will be presented in this eastern quadrant, which explains the different categories of devotion. The first wave defines the general characteristics of devotion. The second describes the means of actualizing devotion. The third concerns the foundational emotions. And the fourth explains the supreme form of love. So the... There are... After sadhana becomes mature, there are, there are different types of bhavas or foundational emotions, which then will uh, create adjustments in terms of the flavor of love which is being exchanged. So those bhavas, they are the, the different uh, relationships such as servant, friend, parent, um, and lover, as well as a neutral position, which typically yogis fall into. The distinguished char distinguishing characteristics of the highest devotion, as it is fully known by the sages, are clearly described in the first wave. 
The highest devotion is dedicated service to Krishna that is rendered pleasantly, is devoid of desire for anything else, and is unobstructed by intellectual knowledge and purposeful action. In the Narada Pancharatra, it is described, completely free from all limitations, to get dedicated to him and pure, service with the senses to the Lord of the senses is called devotion. In the third canto of the Bhagavatam, Lord Kapila says to his mother, Devahuti, Devotion to the Supreme Lord is without motive and is unobstructed. Even if the five kinds of moksha are offered, namely co-residence in the same world, equality in power, proximity, similarity in form, or even union with the Supreme Lord, devotees do not accept anything but my service. This, this very thing called bhakti yoga has been declared to be the highest aim. So this is a really important distinction between the common interpretation of bhakti yoga and the authoritative actual interpret, um, explanation of bhakti yoga, which is that typically people think of bhakti as a means of liberation, as a, as a process which you use to attain liberation and then after having attained liberation you give up your bhakti. But the sastras and the, the sages have actually described that bhakti has surpassed that pursuit of moksha and it continues even in the liberated stage. That's really important because what this means is that once you're liberated, you still exist forever. And now what engagement you should undertake, what should you be doing with your eternal existence? And, and bhakti yoga shows the most profound and best use of one's eternal time, eternal existence throughout all time in this, in this process. So if, you have, if you're engaging in bhakti yoga for the purpose of just attaining moksha or liberation, thinking that at the end you can give up your deity you can give up your, your sadhana, you can give up your practice of, of interacting with the Supreme because you've, you know, most people think, oh, I've become the Supreme, which is a experience that you have in the Shantaras platform that you feel that you have become the deity, but you have to understand that that, that experience of, of remaining in that, or that experience of being merged in the Supreme is temporary because well there are many many different kinds of metaphysical understandings of why that is a temporary experience but nevertheless what the bhakti yogis are saying bhakti yogis are saying is that there are even higher more relishable experiences than becoming one's deity the indication of, of the superiority of the devotees expressed in this, these verses amounts to a definition of devotion since it shows its supreme purity. The six qualities of devotion are it destroys difficulty, it, it bestows auspiciousness, it trivializes moksha, it is very difficult to attain, and it consists of a special concentrated joy and it attracts Krishna. <clears throat> the destruction of difficulties. Difficulties are of three types. Sin, the seed of sin, and ignorance. 
Sin is of itself of two types, that which has not yet begun to take effect and that which has already begun to take effect. The destruction of sin that has not yet begun to take effect is illustrated in the 11th canto of the Bhagavat Purana. Krishna says to his close friend and advisor Uddhava, Just as a blazing fire turns all fuel into ashes, O Uddhava, so devotion focused on me completely consumes all sins. The destruction of sin that has already begun to take effect is illustrated in the third canto. Devahuti says to Lord Kapila, Even a lowly dog-eater is immediately made fit for the Soma sacrifice by singing, hearing, and meditating on your name, and also by bowing to you and remembering you. How much more so is this true from a direct vision of you, O Lord? A comment is said that a low birth makes one ineligible for Soma sacrifice, and the cause of low birth is sin, and that has already begun to take effect. In the Padma Purana, it says, Sin that is not yet begun to produce his results, the highest sin, the seed of sin, and the sin that is the process of producing results are all destroyed for those engaged in devotion to Vishnu. The destruction of the seeds of sin is illustrated in the sixth canto. Sins can be removed by such actions as asceticism, charity, and vows, but these actions will not remove the source of sins born from wickedness, yet even their source can be removed by service to the feet of the Lord. The wise cut the knots of egoism formed by karma by means of devotion to the splendor of the lotus-petaled feet of Vasudev, whereas the ascetics, who have emptied their minds and have suppressed the senses, are unable to accomplish this. Therefore, take refuge with Vasudev. Now, Vishnu, Vasudev, Sri Krishna, these are all names of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. They're interchangeable. They, they aspect or they, they express different aspects of Krishna. For example, Vasudev means the being of pure light um, uh, or the being of pure consciousness. Vishnu means all-pervading consciousness. And Krishna means the all-attractive. The highest devotion for Hari, which Hari means he who steals the mind or uh, burns away your sin or um, takes away all your accumulated sinful activities, which is accompanied by knowledge, quickly burns up ignorance as a forest fire burns up serpents. The bestowal of auspiciousness. The wise speak of such auspicious aspects as these, the delight and attraction of all beings in the world, good qualities and happiness. The delight and attraction of all beings in the world are illustrated in the Padma Purana. All beings in the world are delighted by him who worships Hari, and all animate and even inanimate beings are attracted to him. The bestow of good qualities is illustrated in the fifth canto. Gods with all good qualities abide in one whose devotion for the Lord is not motivated by desire for anything. But where are these great qualities to come from for the one who is not devoted to the supreme Hari? and is running after unreal external objects out of desire. Basically, what it's saying is that good qualities don't actually reside in those who are blinded by materiality and their purpose of their life is simply the pursuit of sense objects. 
the senses and their objects interact automatically. We don't actually, um, we don't have full control over their interactions. And because the results of past karma manifest which sense objects come in touch with the senses, there's sort of a, a flow of, of life and its various experiences that must occur, both good and bad. So just like we don't seek distress and it comes on, on its own, similarly, we don't seek, if we don't seek pleasure, it will also come on its own. So a wise person, instead of seeking pleasure, he instead seeks true knowledge, wisdom, good qualities, self-realization, and of course, devotion to God, Hari, Shri Krishna, Bhagavan. In the Western world, they called him Yadava or Yahweh. The Islamic people, they call him Allah. There's no need to distinguish between which God is real because ultimately, if you believe there is only one God, and other people believe there's only one God, then more logically is to think that that one God is the same manifesting for everybody in different ways, according to time, place, and circumstances, giving different rules, different regulations, different practices, according to the nature of different people. And so, you know, the atheist argument of which God should you believe in is actually quite silly. Um, it is, it is just distracting. It, it doesn't actually do anything. Continuing with the text, happiness is of three kinds. That which is ordinary, that which relates to the impersonal Brahman or one's own self, and that which relates to the personal Lord or Ishvara. An illustration is in the Tantra. All marvelous spiritual powers, ordinary enjoyment, eternal moksha, and never-ending supreme joy are all obtained from devotion to Govinda. It is also said in the Hari Bhakti Shuddhaya, of God, O God of Gods, I pray again and again that firm devotion to, for you be mine, a devotion which like a creeper bears happiness and the fruit of the four goals that culminate in moksha. The trivialization of moksha. When the heart is filled with even a little love for the Lord, the four, four goals of life, culminating in moksha, turn to nothing but straw. So the four goals of life given in the Vedic Sastras are dharma, artha, kama, moksha. Dharma means responsibility. It's that which upholds your life. It's your, it's your role in the world. It's your occupation. It's your... Um, function in the world, your responsibility. Um, artha is, is usually said to be economic development, but it's the pursuit of that which is wanted as well. It is growth. It is prosperity. Usually as a part of artha, you will learn about agriculture um, and other productive endeavors, mining, agriculture, farming, cattle rearing, 
um, arts, the arts and sciences, sculpture, etc., etc., etc. Kama is pleasure, aesthetics, that which is pleasing the senses, sexuality. It's getting what one wants. And so these things are trivialized by the amount of happiness that one can attain in bhakti. In the Narada Pancharatra, it says that all spiritual powers, moksha and so forth, and all marvelous enjoyments follow in the train of the great goddess of devotion to Hari like her servants. Another thing this is saying is that if you endeavor for devotion, all those things will come to you of their own accord. You don't have to make giant endeavors to get enjoyment. You know, the, the... those things will, will automatically be present in your life to probably a greater degree than people who do not have devotion but have only, you know, seeming wealth and seeming good qualities. The difficulty of attainment. Loving devotion is difficult to attain for two reasons. It cannot be attained by even long periods of intense practice that is devoid of attachment, and Hari does not offer it readily. The reason why Hari doesn't offer it readily is that he has made promises that those who have devotion to him, he becomes their... He becomes dedicated to them. He becomes their protector. He becomes indebted to them. He becomes obliged to them. And... That is, you know, a little contrary to his nature of being completely free. <laughs> so his devotees are particularly um, important to him. <clears throat> An illustration of the verses in the Tantra. Moksha is easily attained through knowledge, and ordinary enjoyment is easily attained through various performances of sacrifice. But loving devotion to Hari is very difficult to attain even by means of thousands of spiritual practices. An illustration of the second is in the fifth canto. O King Yudhisthira, the Lord is the protector, the teacher, the deity, the dear friend, the family guardian, and sometimes even the servant of you Pandavas and the Yadus. So be it. The Lord Mukunda grants moksha to his worshippers at any time, but he certainly does not give always grant bhakti yoga. Special Concentrated Joy if the joy of Brahman were multiplied billions of times, it would still not amount to even a drop of the ocean of the happiness of devotion. Think of the bliss of Brahman as the ultimate, the ultimate sense of meaning, clarity, relief, and euphoria that you can possibly conceive of. You know, the, you see sometimes when uh, a person who's been um, wrongfully imprisoned for a very long time and he finally somehow, you know, he gets released from prison and there's this great release of emotion 
this freedom that the person longed for for so long has now been granted and he's just completely overwhelmed completely overwhelmed at the recognition of his innocence that is like a tiny drop of what moksha feels like and here it is saying that that is not even a drop compared to the happiness of devotion even the happiness of Brahman is no more than the water contained in the hoof print of a cow for me, who am situated in the pure ocean of bliss that comes from a clear perception of you, O Lord of the universe. In the Bhavartha Deepika, it says, Those extremely joyful and fortunate people who are wandering about in the ocean of nectar for your stories understand that the four goals culminating in moksha are nothing but straw. So we can really, we really, you know, want to understand that this quality of devotion is is actually the supreme goal, the supreme attainment. That if you can, if you can go after in your life gaining devotion for the supreme Lord for for your very life itself, the supreme Lord is your own life. He's, he's not separate from you. You're not separate from him. It doesn't require you to think, oh some tyrannical dogmatic religious system you have to function within some institution or this is a very personal process this is between you and your very own higher self the self the individual self is a part and parcel of the higher self and the relation between them two is called bhakti and the service of the, the, the one to the other. That is bhakti. Dedicated service. Pleasing service. Free from motive. Because there is no more motive for a person who has attained moksha. There's nothing to be gained for a person who has, been, has moksha. But bhakti is the... Bhakti is that which expands, expands, expands that, that, ex, that experience of connection to the Supreme. That bhakti attracts Krishna. Devotion captivates Hari and his dear friends by charming them with love. For this reason, devotion is considered to be the attractor of Krishna. It is illustrated in the 11th canto that neither yoga, nor sankhya philosophy, nor righteous duty, nor study, nor asceticism, nor renunciation conquers me, O Uddhava, as does intense devotion. Ah, you are most fortunate in the world of humans. Sages who sanctify the world visit your houses because the Supreme Brahman disguised in the form of a man clearly dwells there. The three categories of devotion, sadhana, bhava, and prema, have been indicated respectively by means of the six special qualities arranged in corresponding hierarchical pairs. By means of these, the greatness of devotion has been proclaimed. Moreover, even a tiny taste of devotion is tantamount to an understanding of the principles of devotion, while logic alone is not, because it is an unreliable measure of devotion. Therefore, the ancient teachers have said, a position that is asserted with even meticulous care by clever logicians can be proven to be otherwise by those who are even more clever. 
This concludes the first wave of the eastern quadrant of the ocean of the essence of devotional rasa, entitled The General Characteristics of Devotion. So for those of you on the yoga path, this isn't, you know, the emphasis of bhakti isn't to discourage you from practicing yoga and understanding jnana. And, you know, even if you're, if you're feeling the need for relief, it's not even to discourage that. It is only to hint and indicate that there is something beyond moksha that if you don't understand now, you may take a long time to, to acknowledge in your bliss of self-realization that there is Ishvara, that there is the whole that you are a part of. So it's really important that actually your yoga be orientated towards devotion rather than moksha. That your jnana be orientated towards devotion rather than moksha. And that your everyday activities be orientated towards devotion rather than towards karma, artha, dharma, and again moksha. Liberation is not the end game. You have to consider this, that when you do attain liberation, you don't end. You don't cease to be. You exist forever. This is the real meaning of immortality, that a person who has attained moksha, when he dies, he no longer forgets. Like we forgot our past lives. Because in our past life, we didn't attain, we didn't attain full self-realization. And through the process of dying and rebirth, we've actually forgot that we existed before. We assume this is our first birth, we assume this is our first lifetime, and we will <laughs> undoubtedly make the same mistake again unless we actually make some endeavor towards self-realization and, of course, more importantly, bhakti. The best way of awakening bhakti is considered to be the association of those who have bhakti. So, the sages, especially of the Gaudiya Sampradaya, recommended going and visiting places like Vrindavan and Navadvip and other holy places like Ayodhya, Dwarka, Charidam in the Himalayas, where people have devotion for Ishvara. And if you meet these people who have this devotion, just by coming in contact with them and hearing from them a little bit, that devotion can be transferred from their heart to you because they're containers of devotion. They're the shelters of devotion. Bhakti yoga is a very sublime process that gets better and better with time. My favorite practice of bhakti yoga is, of course, kirtan. We sing the names of God, of Hari, of Krishna, accompanied by musical instruments. and It's actually really fun. I play mridanga 
It's a drum from West Bengal made out of Ganga clay and Ahimsa cow leather. It has a bass side and a very high-pitched, almost bell-like side. And the rhythms and patterns that one can produce from it are limitless. It's so much fun. I actually just... I can't believe... I, I just can't believe how how much potential it has. It gets better and better in my life. I'm very thankful for that. If you haven't tried Kirtan, I really, really recommend you find like the nearest place that is really dedicated to Kirtan. If you live in New York, you really need to check out the Radha Govinda Temple on a Sunday night in Brooklyn because the, the Kirtaniyas there are absolutely incredible. If you've ever been to Vrindavan, go to the 24-hour kirtan in Krishna Balaram Mandir. It's a lot of young people who have really dedicated themselves to kirtan. That's another interesting thing about kirtan is that the the majority of kirtaniyas today are are young people. It's like a revolution of a brand new style of of um, of music and community and. There's all kinds of things going on there. I think that's going to be a really big thing in the future. I think that it's going to be like the next hip hop revolution. That's what I think about. I think that I think that about Kirtan because it's growing. And you know, the before the image of the Hare Krishnas or Kirtaniyas was like a little bit, you know, a little bit disgruntling and a little bit odd. The way the presentation was before is a little bit odd, but you know the Gurukuli generation and the second generation kids and stuff. They you know have a lot of style, a lot of you know they're actually quite. It's really cool, and a lot of people don't know about this. And I think that you should really check it out. This is something that's going to be really big in the future. I can see it coming. So really, really, there's a lot of there's a lot of potential there. Anyway, this hopefully served as a a lesson on the qualities of bhakti. So that when you hear people talk about bhakti in an impersonal way or in a sort of diluted way, you can understand that more or less they're watering down the philosophy. They're not staying true to the sastras. They're not staying true to um, the actual defining characteristics there's another really beautiful book to read about bhakti yoga called the narada bhakti sutras um Prabhupada translated those and made some commentaries on those that are really nice but essentially to begin with i recommend you just whatever you're doing in your life good bad doesn't matter whatever you're doing if you think of that as an offering that if you live your life in such a way that let your life be its very own offering to the Supreme for His pleasure, for you, for your own, for His satisfaction, you know, free from all judgment, completely natural, whatever it is you're doing, do that for the purpose of pleasing or even just making God smile. And then 
whatever you've done in your life will be a perfect yoga. You don't have to make any giant adjustments. You don't have to be somebody that you're not. You don't have to do anything that you don't want to do. Do whatever it is you want to do with an attitude of devotion, thinking that it will be, thinking and meditating as that, that it is an offering. Then you'll surely come to a place of devotion. You'll attain devotion. But I think that the higher levels of devotion, you'll understand that you really do enjoy hearing about and serving more directly in a very direct way. I hope this helped. Um, I'll see you next time. Let me know if you had any questions or comments. Um, or if you want to challenge my anything that I've said, I'm really actually quite open to that. I don't know how comments work on Anchor. I haven't seen any means of that kind of thing yet, but if anybody knows what would be the best place to engage in discussion, let me know. That's all for today. Jai Nithai.